Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come inside. A bit confusing to both of us, to say the least. Womp womp. (laughs) Something like that. Hi, Sean. So, yeah, we decided what the hell to do to do a uh, to do the Sunday game Sunday Sunday afternoon show. We're both in Hoboken right now. We actually got to go for the first time this year to the bar to watch the, the Sunday one o'clock games. My son is not here. My daughter is well here, but she's sleeping. So we're here watching watching New England Minnesota. So much has gone on in the last twenty four forty eight hours. College football, fantasy playoffs the boxing heavyweight championship of the world. Um, and Hanukkah starts. Yeah, it was a little confusing. He looked like the George Cooney playing the night in this in this Russo commercial, except, except it was Bud Light. Ugh, such a shame we had to leave. She'll be driving me home. <laughs> Fair enough. I thought we said that we actually do want to play him because of his matchup. Yes, we don't want to. Play. Probably not. If they had lost this week, I think they would have started them. Um, but you still have to go under the impression that they're trying to win the game, even if they're not. Even if the fans are a little bit more, I think Sean Oltes is probably the least enthusiastic I've seen the. I've been as a Giants fan 
you know, winning a game against a division leader this late in the season. Yes, and the most enthusiastic I've ever been about the Giants winning a game because that means that they're one game and in the first pick in the draft. But then again, the Jets go ahead and screw me over and start winning. Right. So I can't – it's like I want my cake and eat it too. I can't eat the cake or anything else. But we're, we're looking at highlights right now. It looks like Travis – Oh, another Kelsey, another touchdown. Yeah. The second touchdown. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. To all you Spencer Rear people out there, <laughs> you're not getting the TDs that you once thought you were going to get last night. And we'll start there yeah. with Spencer Ware. And the reason we're saying Spencer Ware is in the game is because some guy named Kareem Hunt. We'll, pro- we'll probably end up with the Redskins soon enough. That's a whole different ball of wax. And so, what, yesterday, Kareem Hunt, uh, yesterday? Yeah, yeah it was last night. Mm-hmm. Kareem Hunt, uh, a video company. Whoa. Okay, well, sorry, we were watching the highlights and the uh, Kinsey kicker and fucker. Uh, Mr. Field goal that. Oh, got blocked. I'm not sure it got blocked. Did he just miss Of course it got blocked. Okay, so Kareem Hunt first put it on the death list. From February. Doug Martin. And she's are a relatively Tyreek Hill notwithstanding, a relatively conservative team, and Kareem Hunt lied to their face and they said, Screw you, get out of here. Yeah, I mean, Kareem actually said, on the, I think in the interview with Lisa Salter today on ESPN, which I did not see, that he doesn't blame Kansas City for releasing him. He said, look, they did what they had to do. He completely understood it. And it's a learning experience. Uh, you know, he was in the wrong, and Kansas City did what was right. Now, um, Lisa Salter didn't talk about reports that there was another incident in June where he punched a guy. So it's a matter of perspective at this point. And – Again, we go back to Ray Rice and whether this is an overreaction or underreaction. I don't know if you've seen the video. I Fledged punch, which knocked his fiance unconscious. 
and was at the end of his, the tail end of his prime. If he was the Ray Rice to three years ago, I don't think he would have been out of the NFL. Yes. Great. And what will be interesting is to see where, where this plays out next year. Um, is a team going to – he's going to be suspended for an extended period of time, my assumption would be, whether it's six months, whether it's a year, whether it's half a season, whether it's a full season. But someone's going to put a claim on a 23-year-old running back with very little wear on the tires. Mm-hmm. Again, a couple of a different situation. Number one, there was no apologies, as far as I know, from Luke and Foster on any of these. Kareem Hunt goes on national television and apologizes. I'm not saying it's right and justifying it under any circumstance. But, um, wow, sorry, I just saw a guy run for 35 yards, and there was not one person within 50. Oh, it was a halftime play, that's why. Um, I was wondering, I'm like, that's just weird. Uh, again, Sorry, Reuben Foster has not been a real impact, has not been the impact player that they anticipated he would have been either. This also came out again last week, you know, where this is a third try, a fourth try. You know, enough's enough. That's why a lot of why the scrutiny is coming. Plus, it's going to Washington, a team that has always been heavily scrutinized because of the antipathy that Dan Snyder has brought upon the, brought upon the, the, the team. 
Maybe not for the, no, because he'll be waiting. Not this year. Next, I don't think anyone's. He'll pass through waivers. Sorry, my fault. Mm-hmm. I agree. But time subsides all these things. So, I mean, Joe Mixon was suspended at Oklahoma. No video, but there was a actually there what there may be there may have been a video. Yes, was suspended for a season at Oklahoma. Caught grief when he was drafted by Cincinnati, and then after a couple of weeks, if you heard a thing about Joe Mixon in the last two years, exactly. So if he gets suspended for eight games, now I have to see they're not an unreasonable. So someone picks him up November 1st of 2019. We are 18 months past the most recent. Will there be PR issues? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, agreed. Will it be to the extent of a Ruben Foster? Ruben Foster, now that's different. Ruben Foster, again, is not an impact player. Yeah. More than Ruben Foster, less, less than, I don't think it would be enough for a team not to pick him up. Absolutely agreed. But do you think it's going to preclude some a team, a running back away from being really, really relevant from picking them up? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Of course, Ray Lewis was not was never convicted of murder. Yes. Yeah, well, the Giants weren't going to take a running back anyway. No. Um, yeah. Well, New England, no, wait a minute. Now, think back. New England did pick up Corey Dillon, who did have some issues. There were some issues with there. Not different year. Not quite that far, but yeah. 2005, 2006, 10, 15 years ago. No. I'm thinking more of a team like, you know, a team that could be really good with a, if they have a running back, a team like Indy. I was going to say, I can see that. Um, no. Old school teams. Yeah. That would make a lot of sense. No. Bye, Mike. No, I think it's a retool. Um, I think you need it when you, you know, I have, now I don't know who Green Bay will go after. I assume it would be, so it would be an offensive play. It would be an offensive guy. But we know that Aaron Rodgers has been unhappy with the play calling for a while in Green Bay. So I think they're going to go with someone who's going to be a little bit more original. Ah, look at that jet run. Look at that jet run. Poor Sean. He's going to have... And it's not going to happen. Um, 
Broncos defense. Yeah. I don't buy it. I, I don't think you can fire a coach any time after one season. Different situation. Uh, Arizona at this point is not per se a dysfunctional franchise, though. But Chavinsky was also more of an almost more of an assist, a, an interim coach. I don't remember was he even made the full fledged. Wow. Did he get a job? Did he really? Interesting. Good for Kai. I know they released T. Martin. Did not. Look at you giving me college football information. And I am sorry. You know, I, I, I still don't believe in the chaos theory. Yes. Yes. And I've said that from since when? Yeah. Well, you have Georgia, who lost again to Alabama in the classic, and that was the big, the big argument, the big controversy last night was what is a Georgia team that played a crappy out of conference schedule and lost its two biggest games of the season, including one of them by twenty to LSU, which a good team, but not a world beater, a good team, a very good team, but not they didn't lose to they didn't lose to Alabama by twenty, they didn't lose to a Clemson by twenty. Lost to an LSU, a, a mediocre, a good LSU team, who's playing in a in the January first bowl, but not a championship threat kind of team. So they didn't win a national, didn't win an SEC title. Would they jump Ohio State, and would they jump Oklahoma with two losses? Ohio State and Oklahoma each winning their conference and having one. Right, and won twenty five, won their twenty fifth game in a row yesterday. Um, 56-41 over Memphis. And what had happened was they made the right choice, most likely, going with Oklahoma. Um, Ohio oh, he's, he's, I saw the arm go up in exasperation, but this was a Jets move, not a, not a Giants, not, not a Oklahoma move. Oklahoma you know, lost to a top 15 team at a neutral field by three and avenged their defeat last week, uh, yeah, yesterday, excuse me. The best offense in the country. They, they're, well, that's why it's going to be fun to watch them play Alabama. Um, it's the right move. Ohio State lost to a six and six Purdue. Should have lost to a five and seven Maryland. Being really, really good for one game against Michigan is not enough to warrant going to the BC. going to the championship. It just doesn't. So this was the right move as a, as a four team, as an eight, as an. But again, you're also if UCF had gone. Or if Georgia had gone, you'd have had three Power Five conferences that were not representative, representative in the Final Four, and that's not a, that would not have gone over very well. 
Different. You're always going to have one. This is the first time Notre Dame's gone. They could have. I don't think so. Because there is the illusion that the other bowls matter. And occasionally there have been years where you would have, you would have had one of those teams make it. Um, I just don't know. I, I haven't seen the last team I could, time I can remember it would probably be Boise State or TCU five or six years ago, where they would have made the Final Four. This is before TCU joined the Big Twelve. Um, I think it would take an extraordinary happenstance, a year similar to this, where 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 you had a flawed last couple teams. Oklahoma has no defense. Ohio State. It's just not very good. Pac-10 had nobody. Washington is a top-20 team. It ended up going. So you needed, you needed years where there was a, just a really bad top two or three, and you needed a UCF-esque team that beat one stud Power 5 conference team. I'm not I, – I, I, I understand Yes. College football board, whatever you want to call it. Right. Right. And they don't want to play you anyway because there's no value. Just a little short because we do have a caller. We'll come back to it in a second. All the way from Phoenix, Arizona, my brother, Mitch Palmer. Mitch, excuse me. And Mitch, happy Thanks for joining. It's, it's great to hear from you. Hey, guys. First off, let me just say uh, how pleased I am and have a very happy Hanukkah to both of you. Thank you. Thanks. As, as it is a Hanukkah thing. Um, I want to commend Seth for his overwhelming knowledge of uh, college football. I don't think I've really ever quite appreciated your amazing statistical depth of college football as I just listened in the last five minutes. 
I mean, really, you're, you're like you're like you're like a, you're like a college football robot. <laughs> well, well then, uh, okay, uh, Mitch. Um, I, I I will speak on behalf of Seth and say you're welcome. <laughs> Seriously, amazing, amazing amount of knowledge. Thank you. What I'm calling about is obviously hockey related because why else would I be calling? Yeah. And, and the Islanders played their. Excuse me. Go. This is your moment. The Islanders played their. Yeah, the Islanders played their first home, uh, real home game, if you will, at the Coliseum last night after 1,300 days uh, being in the uh, dark recesses of Brooklyn, and uh, came away with a really nice 3-2 win. Um, interesting side note: Columbus Blue Jackets were the last team they actually played at the Nassau Coliseum uh, when they left. So it was a nice bookend kind of deal. Barry Trotz saying this is Islander country being on Long Island. And as we know, Belmont is being developed for the 2021 season. So I wanted to get your opinion on whether you believe the Islander faithful will go from Long Island to Belmont because they sure has not been going from Long Island to Brooklyn. Okay, well, I'll, I'll take this one. Number one, I am incredibly impressed by your in-depth knowledge about everything <laughs> Islander-related. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. Anyway, on that note, um, I do think that they will travel, and I think a lot of this will happen, will, will come about because there will be parking lots. And I know people say, why parking lots? Well, when, Why parking lots, Sean? Why parking lots, Sean? Well, the reason is because there, when you went to the Nassau Coliseum, or people still go to the Nassau Coliseum, they park, they tailgate, they, they, they camp out, they, they enjoy the atmosphere. When you come to Barclays, none of that is apparent. Everybody understands how bad of an arena Barclays is. Everybody understands how bad of a place to watch a game is. But Seth and I were talking earlier about going to a Super Bowl and how Seth, this is, a, this is when we were at the bar, but Seth was saying, I would rather sit at home because I have a better seat at home than I would at the Super Bowl. Well, he's right. And the point is the same when you're talking about Barclays is that my seat at home is ten times better than anyone that I would get there. So I think that this, the arena will be built for hockey. I think it's a much better – it will be a much better place to see and also a much better fan experience. So I think that they will turn out. Well, you know, last night they, they mentioned that the Coliseum had undergone something like a $100 million renovation. They put new locker rooms, they put new penalty boxes, and they put all the, they put all the accoutrements, although they lowered the, the overall available seats. But apparently the one thing they did not actually improve upon was the ice conditions. Because if you watch the game, the puck was dropping all over the place, bouncing all over the place. Butch Goring mentioned half a dozen times how it's great that they made the, you know, the, the venue better, but they didn't make the venue better for hockey uh, in terms of playing styles. I'm hoping that Belmont will be from a ground-up perspective. This is a hockey venue. Yes, we'll have concerts here. Yes, we'll have indoor soccer here. But we are first and foremost caring about hockey. Well, that, that would be my assumption. That is exactly what it, it is. The first Islander first arena, and right. you know, what I mean by that is when you were at the Nassau Coliseum. Well, if the circus was in town, the circus got priority. 
if you went to Barclays, well, everything gets priority, and the Islanders come last. The understanding is with regards to Belmont is that the Islanders come first. Everything else comes second and third and fourth. And when you have an arena like that, when you have, you're the main tenant, you get some things that you would not necessarily get before. Right. Now, let me ask you a, let me ask you a question, Mitch. You, know, you brought yeah. up the idea of, okay, we're going to Nassau, you know, we're going to Nassau, we're going, to, we're going right by Belmont. You know, is this going to be what we, the Islander fans are really dreaming of for all intents and purposes? I was kind of throwing that back at you as an Islander fan, as someone who lives on the island for 20-some-odd years. So to me, right, as a Jersey guy, I assume well, you're, you're not getting, getting back, back in Nassau. But that's okay. You're, to me, you're getting, for all and purposes, what you want. Sorry, I'm getting interrupted, Sean. You're going to have to take it for a minute. Okay, you know, so what I, think, what I think Seth is getting at is, are you getting everything that you want here? Are you, are you going to turn out? Are you going or you believe that the, the fan faithful will come back? Is that basically what you're getting at? Well, well, I will, I will answer that by saying that, as you know, I live in Phoenix, and even though the Coyotes are truly an abysmal team, although they did beat the Blues last night, who was even more of an abysmal team, the one thing that, that the Coyotes have, they, they have an impressive fan base because the, the venue they're at is an impressive venue. And people are willing to drive and park and tailgate there, even though they know their team's a loser, which, which they are. And so I think that um, if the Coliseum is, is Islander first and they put the amenities in and they put the luxury boxes in, that will be great. But if they price themselves out of a seat, if they make the, the, the ice $290 tickets and, and they make the mid-bowl $125 tickets, yeah, I mean – People will come out for it, but we we got to adjust pricing as as an Islander fan. You know we're we're used to we're a little bit used to you know the fifteen dollar upper bowl playing for a, for a fair you know a fairly bad team kind of thing. If you're going to start pricing out the upper bowl at eighty five bucks, you're going to have a much harder time selling out that venue. I mean you're still going to sell it out. Don't get me wrong; it's a brand new venue. But I want to see them be consistent with the ticket pricing. Well, I'm going to say one more thing, and then we're, we're, we're going to move on to something else. So I appreciate yeah. your call. But number one is that it doesn't matter what it used to be. It doesn't matter what the Coliseum used to be. The prices will be the prices. Because hockey, from when you and I went to the Coliseum, the $15 tickets, those are no more. They, they don't right. exist anywhere. They exist in a bad Barclays seat. And I'd rather pay <laughs> $50 for a good seat than pay $15 for a bad seat. So it really doesn't matter what we want with that. The experience has to be worth the price. I get that, and that's the point. Well, that's, well, that's what I'm saying about Phoenix is, is, is they have a crappy team out here, but they have a beautiful venue, and they can charge right. a, a good price for a good entertainment value and still make it worth their while for Phoenix, even though they're a losing team. And I had to answer Seth. I, 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 you put a, if you put a railroad station there like they're planning on, you put parking lots like Sean has said, and you make it a tailgate-friendly environment, everyone will come out for that. Sounds great. Thanks so much for calling. All right, thanks so Happy much, Hanukkah guys. To you. All right, we'll talk to you Bye-bye. Yeah. Love you, bud. So anyway, that was my brother Mitch. 
from and and right now, as we said before, Morgan was was calm and collected. Well, Morgan is no longer calm and collected. If you're hearing behind us, we we now have the the reintroduction of Jake from two years ago. Um, but but you know what? Seth's taking care of her, and uh, I'll continue on. So we were talking a little bit about. First of all, if you'd like to call in, we we really appreciate all the callers. Seven six zero two eight three zero eight four six. Seven six zero two eight three zero eight four six. Here we have about twenty minutes to go. We were talking college football, and and Mitch eloquently said Seth's uh, high knowledge, but I never really got the answer to my question as to how a Central Florida can do it. How how is it possible? Because I'm not really sure it ever is. I think it's a farce. I think the entire college bowl system right now could be considered a farce and I would love to see somebody I really would a while back when when Boise State and all these other uh, non top five conferences were going through the bowl motions in the bowl championship series you actually saw a lawsuit from one of them from one of these schools saying there's no way I can make it there's no feasible way mathematically that I can get to that point and Seth's back now. Seth, is there any way to do this? Mathematically, this is obviously a computer-driven system. Well, this is not a computer-driven system. This is 13 people picking. This is, this is, no, this is not a computer system at all. Well, but they use, they use metrics. They use data analytics in deriving their opinions, the 13 people. Yeah, but they also use watching and schedule and, face, and, and head-to-head and yeah, it's part of the compilation. It's not the whole thing. Okay. So is there a way? Can Central Florida, given the schedule that they have for next year, which they can't change, right? You, you, in, in 90% of the time, you cannot change the schedule. And certainly, you can't ask, Michigan is not coming to Central Florida to play you. If anything, you're going to have to go there. And even at that point, this is the problem that mid-majors in the NCAA basketball tournament have. Nobody wants to play you because there is no positive for a Michigan to play a Central Florida. There is only a negative that goes along with this. They can make they can make the top four without playing Central Florida. Central Florida can't make it without playing Michigan. Right. Most likely not, which is one of the reasons I've been such a proponent of of, the, of, a, of an 18 playoff. Because I do believe in an 18, you would get that. Now, obviously, the bar is still higher for the non-power five than for the power five. But a Central Florida unquestionably would be in an 18 tournament this year. Unquestionably. I think they would have been in last year. But that's why four doesn't work. It's too constrictive. Okay, so how do we get to eight? The, understand, the understanding I have is that there's a good chance there'll be a renegotiation after this year's playoff. After next year's playoff. Excuse me, here's why. At that point, there's a 12-year commitment to this to this, whatever they want to call this. My understanding is they have a negotiation point at the halfway point. That will be the halfway point. So, if in two years we're in 18, in 18 is perfect. I don't want 16, because there should be a value being able to play for the championship, in my mind. Football is not basketball. It doesn't work the same way. Right. The regular season should count, yeah. right? That's what you're getting at. Yeah. So, I mean, thinking about this even, even for this year, you have the four teams that made it. You have 
um, excuse me, you have Ohio State, you have, you have Georgia, you have Central Florida, and then you have an 18, which is probably Michigan or Washington State or whoever it is. But to me, I don't really care if you're the ninth team and you don't make it unless they're Maryland. Right. This is like the 60-50, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter. And, and, again, let me extol the virtues of your college football knowledge that my brother brought forth before. Shut up. <laughs> so, because I know – I understand from your brother it's sincere, from you it's complete uh, BS. Malarkey. That's Malarkey. Another, no, he's the coach of Tennessee. Um, so, I don't care about the ninth team or the ninth team. The reason that four doesn't work is there are teams that are 11 and one or 12 and 0 undefeated, you know, non-power five. That I would like to see have a running shot at this. I'm not going to. That you'll never. You're not going to see that. Well, you'll see 11 and one team. But to me, four teams is just too constrictive. When you can have 11 and one conference champions not make it, and that's worthy of being of being able to play for a title. In my mind, if you're not, a, if it's not a two-team, not a two-team thing. Okay, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, we, we've discussed this. Yeah. Have I ever said more than more than eight? Have I ever said I not, want Neither one of us has said more than no. eight. Because, as you said, there needs to be some value to the regular season. But more importantly to me, I don't want to see December all be college football. I don't. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in the NFL. I like the NFL. I think each sport has its place, but the one thing I don't want to do is make a playoff like the one double-A playoffs, where it's, where it's the entire month is college football playoffs. I, no. like, I like the two-week version, or maybe a three-week version. Well, for 10 games, you need three weeks. You need three weeks. So you do one after New Year's, you do New Year's as the semifinal still, then you get one, one around Christmas. That works out perfectly to me. That works out perfectly to me. So, okay, so we're switching gears because that's what we seem to do on this show. And no, the next gear is obviously too – not obvious. It's obvious to me. Major League Baseball, my friend. Hot stove league in kind of full force here. Your Mets, the biggest trade of the offseason. So want far. You the value? <laughs> I ain't seen it. Well, certainly so far. And in the fact that, by the way, for those that have been waiting for Doug Baldwin to do something. One patch, one, one, patch, one yard, one touchdown. So if you're looking for, for, top, for NFL fantasies, uh, Doug Baldwin has finally come through <laughs> for you. Uh, one catch, one yard, one touchdown, which means eight points in PPR leagues. But, uh, seven points, excuse me. So let's go to this big trade. So the Mets trade – three of their top prospects, including the number six overall pick last year. And then I believe it was the 24 pick Justin Dunn the year before, along with a third prospect, along with Anthony Schwartix, who was a miserable excuse for a reliever last year, having uh, an over six ERA. Seth, I believe I can pitch for an over six Only if you go to knuckleball, man. Only if you go to knuckleball. $7 million for an over six ERA. And Jay Bruce, who was earning $13 million. And in, recur- in return, they get the top reliever purportedly in baseball in Edwin Diaz and a guy that New Yorkers should know in Robinson Cano. I'm perplexed by this trade. Um, 
in many levels. Number one is oh. the fact that I hate when the Mets get ex-Yankees. I despise it. I think I think it's garbage. Morgan agrees with me. Um, I think it's we're getting it's it's like you're getting uh, a hand-me-down or you're getting set, uh, I can't even remember the phrase. I'm getting dibs on something that somebody else had first. I don't I don't want it. I, I want my You're own getting players. sloppy seconds. Let's call it what it is. There you go. There you go. That's what I was looking for. I'm getting sloppy seconds from the Yankees. And I don't need it. I don't want it. And I don't quite understand it. But if you're looking at it strictly for this year, for 2019 and 2020, the Mets are a better team because of this trade. Down the road, you know what? The Mets have had many different prospects that have never turned out. Number one is Alex Ochoa. <laughs> I always remember Alex Ochoa because I was coming back from uh, Camden Yards and the Mets traded Bobby Bonilla for supposedly the number two prospect in baseball named Alex Ochoa. Seth, do you remember Alex Ochoa? Because as a non-Mets fan, I doubt you do. And that just tells you how important Alex Ochoa was to the Mets for the next 10 years. Not important at all. Well, there you go. I learned so, my lesson of the day. I am overwhelmingly impressed by the by the superior knowledge of Mr. Palmer when it comes to hot stove Mets baseball. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are incredibly impressed by three things on this show. One is Seth's knowledge of college football uh, from my brother. One is Islander hockey from me to my brother. And one is New York Mets hot stove baseball from Seth to me. So given that, and given the fact that I am lying down in virtually the same position as a guy that got knocked down last night in the boxing match, perhaps, Seth, you would like to talk about what looked like the Undertaker rising from the grave last night. Because I I didn't see that until this morning, and I still can't believe he got up. Yeah, um, it says a lot about where boxing stands in landscape American sports that 50 minutes into a sports radio show that's relatively well-rounded, we're talking for the first time about the heavyweight title of the world, um, or the heavyweight boxing championship of the world, I should say, between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, which was a, a pretty fun heavyweight title fight, two of the three best heavyweights in the world, along with Anthony Joseph. And it ended up, not surprisingly, because similar to every boxing, well, every boxing uh, major fight, a draw. And controversial. Um, one card had a 115-110 for Fury. One had it 114-111 for Wilder. And one had it 113 each. And the amazing, but it was a fun fight. And the amazing part was um, most people had Fury winning, although there were two knockdowns. He was knocked down twice. The second time, if, you, if you've seen a video of it, it looks like he's unconscious. He is laying there like he is dead. And the way Wilder hit him, he very well could have been. And after five seconds, he sat up. Literally like The Undertaker from Worldwide Wrestling, and then popped up. And they started dancing. It was, it was absolutely insane. And props to him for a guy who's been out for three years, for the better part of three years, you know, and, you know, has had fought drug issues, fought a lot of other issues, to come back and really outfight the num- the one of the top two t- heavyweights in the world, props to him. And now you'll have a rematch, which will make even more money, and hopefully it won't be on pay-per-view so people can watch it and it won't be the eighth thing that we discuss on our radio show that week. 
Well, Seth, well, let's continue discussing it. So we, we give it its due course. It was an enjoyable fight. It was on pay-per-view. And is there any reason to think that, look, you said it. It's been claimed in the media that people thought that he was not, not only knocked out, but seriously injured. Was there any reason to stop the fight? I mean, if you get yeah. hit that hard the way he went and you down, get hit. The way, look, the way he went down, if it was not a heavyweight title fight, they would have stopped it. Because he was laying for three seconds like he was unconscious. He looked unconscious. But I think it being a heavyweight title fight, and Jack Reese, one of the best, one of the best referees in the, in, in the world, pretty much said to himself, okay, this is a heavyweight title fight. I'm going to give the guy the entire 10 seconds to get up. And that's what he did. And then he made him walk over and made him do one or two other things. Now, it may have taken a little bit longer than, a little bit longer than it would have been liked because it probably wouldn't end. It's not 10 seconds. It's now 15 or 20. And the amazing, but in a heavyweight title fight, I would rather you give, I would rather you give it the benefit of the doubt. It's not like it's MMA where they're going to keep punching and keep fighting. He's down. Wilder's on the other side of the ring. There's no more damage he's going to do. Give it another couple seconds, so be it. I had no problem with I just amazed he got up. Well, the there. damage that he did, hold on, but it's the damage that he did. Look, if you're, let's compare it to a football game, right? So a guy gets a concussion in the football game and he has to come out, right? He's done. He, mm-hmm. he has to go to the tent or he has to, even if he just looks woozy, right? Because the, the damage is not any more from that play, but it would be from the next play, such as a boxer that gets up and goes back in the ring and gets hit in the head again. Now, I do understand there is a difference, right? One is a football game where the point is to get a ball, an oblong pigskin ball, I'm quoting a movie somewhere, across a goal line, while the other one is to literally get the crap kicked out of you. So I get that. I get the difference. But should there be a medical reason for them to stop the fight if somebody comes and gets hit like that, hits the ground like that, has to get up like that, and you can see it on TV, I'm sure that the referee saw it the ref the exact has, same the, No, the ref has the discretion to stop the fight whether he gets up or not. He's the, the ref is the one who's in control of this. The ref is having a discussion with him. He has to answer questions. He has to do, fulfill certain th- criteria, whether it's walking towards, whether it's walking towards him or keeping his hands up or whatever it is. You know where you are. Basic questions. And the, it's a judgment call on the ref's part whether to continue the fight or not. And this was in the 12th round. And if you heard him three minutes later in the interview. He was more. He was more. He was clearer in his responses than Wilder was in his. He was completely coherent. It's still mind-boggling he got up, but he was completely coherent. So it was the right move. In the ref's hand, the ref handled it correctly, and it just went from there. So when should we be seeing a rematch of this? Or, or is it? This is obviously the first of probably three. If. I assume there will be a rematch, I would think, in around March. I can't – there's one other fighter at this level, um, Anthony Joseph. He's not – but he's – he has not been overwhelmingly excited about fighting either of these guys. 
So my guess is when this is done, when my guess is, and again, it's 24 hours after the fight. So I'm assuming that this will happen. I would say this will happen in March or April, take four or five months and then I'll run it back. And then I don't think you're going to automatically, you know, we'll see how that plays out, but both of them need to be better, but it was a fun heavyweight title fight, which is not words you often, you always put together. So it was good for boxing, even if it didn't have, and hopefully next one will not be on pay-per-view, would be on ESPN or something along those lines where you can get the draw that, you know, and get, try and regain some of the audience you've lost over the years by, by going primarily to pay-per-view. And that seems to be where they think this is going to be headed. Okay. Fair enough. So we're in our last five minutes. Would you like to go first or would you like to me to go? Okay. My wife has asked me to say happy Hanukkah, not realizing we've said it four times in the first five minutes of the show. <laughs> but happy Hanukkah for my wife, my son, my wife, my son, my dog, my daughter. Um, anyway, the, the person who has made the single greatest really building job, you know, we've talked about over the years how great Nick Saban is, how great Phil Jackson is. Phil Jackson, as I've said over, the, over time, has come in. He's always come into these great situations, Jordan, Pippen, Bryant, and uh, Shaq, or he, which has allowed him to win these championships. And I've always questioned whether the, the, win, the maintaining the winning of, of that bar is more difficult than actually the, turn, the turning around of a program, the turning around of a team, which Saban did originally with Alabama because they were struggling, they were, I think, four and seven the year before he got there the greatest turnaround coach in the history of college football is retiring tomorrow, uh, today, excuse me, Bill Snyder, um, who was coaching at Kansas state for the second time. He's coached there 27 years, hired in 1989. They had lost 27 games in a row. It had been to one bowl game in 77 years. It makes Syracuse and Maryland look like Michigan and Notre Dame. Despite that, he ends up going, winning 200 games, you know, going almost winning almost 70% of his games at Kansas state winning two conference titles and he built a team in Manhattan, Kansas, which is not exactly the, you know, the, we're not, when we're talking about big growth in America, Manhattan, Kansas is not at the forefront. Um, but he built it into really a powerhouse for many, many years. Uh, and this year is the fourth time under Snyder that they're not going to go to a bowl or the fourth time in the last 25 years. And what he has done and in 98, they were the best team in the country and lost in the out and lost in the, in the Big Ten Championship to Texas A&M in overtime, um, which is a shame. That was the Michael Bishop team, and they, should, they would have probably won it all. But what he has done is unfathomable in college sports. And he never would have gotten the time, most likely at this point, to do it. Um, so, he's, you know, he had cancer in 2016. He's actually, I think, ironically, his career victories, he's only behind um, for active coaches. Mac Brown, who became active last week, Brian Kelly from Notre Dame, which is kind of shocking and not surprisingly Nick Saban, um, a Hall of Famer, a class act, and someone who really is going to deserve a much larger send-off than he's actually going to get because of where, his, where Kansas State is located. So congratulations to, to yeah. Coach Snyder, and you deserve any, accol- any accolades that you deserve or you receive are well are not going to probably be warrant enough to warrant what considering what you've done over the last couple of years. So I was going to use the same thing with Bill Snyder, and I'd like to tack on to that. In 1997, on December 31st, 
I was in Phoenix, Arizona for Syracuse and Kansas State, where I saw the first of the New Year's Eve, New Year's Day Bowls for Kansas State and saw Michael Bishop playing against Donovan McNabb in one of the greater games that I had seen in the Fiesta Bowl. And Bill Snyder uh, came up to the marching band and said, what a great time and what a great, what a great job we were doing. So not only was he a great coach, not only was he a great ambassador or is a great ambassador of the sport, he's a very humble man. He is a very gracious man that knows his place and knows not only coaching, but teaching kids, but teaching kids. So at the same time, Seth, you're absolutely right, the retirement of one of the greatest coaches in football, but most important for college football, but most importantly, one of the greatest builders in college football. Absolutely 100% true on that. Okay, so next week – We'll be talking a lot more hot stove. We'll give our predictions on some of the bowl games. Syracuse making the outback uh, camping world one something bowl in Orlando. But it's a good game. It's a good game. We play Florida State. Not we'll play West Virginia. Uh, sorry, play West Virginia. I don't know why I said Florida State. We already beat them. We play West Virginia. We'll give you a little bit more insight into the bowls and the bowl schedule next week. So please tune in for Seth Caymans. This is Sean Palmer again. For Carly Caymans and the rest of our family, a very happy Hanukkah. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good one, everybody. Bye.